All right, so we're in a series called New Beginnings, and what we've been talking about is that we all, all of us, have these different chapters in our lives. And some of them are brought about on, by us. Maybe we decide to get married, and that's a brand new chapter. That's a new beginning. Maybe uh, for some of you, you decided to end a relationship, and that be- was a new beginning for you. Maybe you decided to have children, and that was a new beginning. Maybe you, you didn't decide to have children and had children, and uh, that was a, a new beginning. Uh, there's all these different things. Sometimes things are thrust upon us. Maybe um, we, we lose a job, or we... Uh, uh, or, or there's some tragedy or something happens in our health. And what we've been trying to communicate through this series is that every time something like that happens, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to meet with God. And what I want to talk about this morning is a story of a guy that um, I think everybody knows um, named Moses. And this new beginning that Moses had. And how at the most unlikeliest of times... He meets God. We're celebrating Black History Month this month, and so much of uh, what we're celebrating is um, uh, empowering minorities, empowering people of color to uh, be in places of power. And, and that makes some people nervous because in order to place some people in power, some people have to lose their power. And, and so the whole civil rights movement was really just a, a power struggle of who's going to be in charge and what's going to happen. And so the, a lot of what you see on the news is about, is about power, is about being in a position of prominence and being in a position uh, of being able to... Um, exercise authority over someone. We've been seeing in the news, uh, which I touched on a little bit last week, about how um, uh, people in power, primarily men, were abusing that power uh, and objectifying women. One of the things I'm most proud about of being a free Methodist, so our, this is, we're a free Methodist church, is what the free part stands for. We, were, uh, uh, we, we came out of the Methodist church and one of the things that we demanded, or, or B.T. Roberts, the founder of our, of our denomination, wanted was freedom from, for, uh, from slavery, freedom of the slaves. And so he fought vehemently for this, and it ended up costing him his uh, ordination. Then, and so they, they said, you're no longer ordained with the Methodist church. And so he started the Free Methodist Church. And that's, that's just one of our five freedoms. We have five of them. And so, but, it's, but as we celebrate Black History Month, I'm just proud to be part of a denomination that, uh, that cares about whatever color you are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're welcome here. And uh, you're welcome to serve in any capacity. And so um, this is about uh, some slaves that were enslaved and the person leading them out uh, of, of uh, their enslavement. And so if you want to read more about Moses or learn more, there's an excellent commentary out there um, that is done <laughs> by, by Disney. Um, very accurate. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just playing around. So uh, if you don't know the story of Moses, one of the uh, best, it's in Exodus chapter 3, but we, we learn about it actually uh, as well in Acts. And Stephen, I'm going to get this thing off of there. Okay. Um, Stephen uh, was one of the apostles and he was being um, grilled by the Pharisees. And so he starts, he just stands up and he begins to preach and he begins to go through um, why Jesus is the Messiah. 
And so he talks about, he starts talking about Moses. He goes all the way back to Moses and he starts talking about being enslaved and, and uh, Moses being used by God. And so in Acts chapter 7, this, this is what he says. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Those are Stephen's words about Moses. So for those of you who don't know the story, um, uh, Pharaoh gives an edict because there's starting to be too many Israelites. And so he gives this edict to start to murder essentially any male uh, baby. And so he tells the, the midwives, hey, if it's a male, I want you to kill the, kill the baby. And so Moses' mom makes this basket and f- lines it with pitch so that she can ins- place him in the river and he can kind of go down the river. And it's really cool if you read about it in Exodus. It says Moses' sister went along the river watching it just to see where it would, where it would end up. That's, that's pretty cool. I love, so, the Bible's so descriptive so, sometimes. I just, I just love it. And so he talks about... Um, Moses' sister going with her, and then it ends up with Pharaoh's daughter, and she takes Moses in. Now, think about this for a minute. The story uh, that you probably already know is that Moses does leave, uh, lead the people out of Egypt. He accomplishes it. But the thing that so fascinates me about the story of Moses and about God's work in, in, in Moses' life is that Moses isn't in the palace when it happens. That Moses goes to the palace, he experiences what, the, what power is like. He experiences what it's like to have servants. He experiences what it's like to take a bath and to be cleansed and to have great food. And, and, and he, he experiences what it's like to learn, to get an education. The Egyptians were um, awesome at, at, at uh, acquiring knowledge and passing this on to their, their kids. And so Moses is in this position of, of power. He's in, in the palace. And so what ends up happening is uh, later on as he becomes a man, he realizes that he's from Hebrew origin. And so he, uh, he goes out and he sees a Hebrew being abused by an Egyptian. And Moses kills the Egyptian. And so he, get, and he gets away with it. Nobody knows is what he thinks. He kills this Egyptian. And so he goes back to the palace. And I don't know what it's like to kill somebody. Um, but uh, you're probably not the same. Uh, so he probably woke up in the morning thinking about, man, you know, that was rough. What, you know, what am I going to do? And so a few days later, he goes out and there's two Hebrews fighting. And he says, brothers, don't don't fight. You don't need to fight. You know, we're on the same side. And they say, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And Moses goes, I'm out of (laughs) here. And he takes, he takes off and he leaves the palace. He leaves his position of power. He has this place of privilege, of luxury, and he has to leave it. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is that some of you uh, here are scared of losing your position of power. And it could, it could come in a whole bunch of different ways. Maybe um, 
Uh, maybe for you, you, you came from some wealth, okay, and you're worried about the stock market. And, oh boy, if I lose, if I lose my wealth and I can't retire when I thought I was going to retire, and there's, there's fear in, in that because that, that's a place of security. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of power. For some of you, maybe you have a position, that you're in a position of authority, and they're, making, they're cutting back or they're reorging or whatever they're doing, and, and, and you're scared to lose that position of power. Some, some of you are... By, through the different news channels that you partake in. There's this fear of, oh, what if I lose my position of power? What if my people aren't in power? What if the people who believe what I believe lose power? What, what, what are we going to do? Well, this happened to Moses. He was in a position of power, and now he's wandering around. And so what ends up happening is uh, um, he is walking around. He gets to this well, and uh, these seven daughters show up, and they're getting harassed by these shepherds. And Moses drives the shepherds away, right? That, I just wonder what that looked like. And he's like, hey, how's it going? I got rid of the shepherds. See that? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what it looked like. But they go home, and their dad goes, hey, where is he? Like, well, you don't know. Like, Go find him and bring him home, okay? Because he's trying to marry off his daughters. It was much different back then than it is now, okay, right? I'm like, where is he? Good. Stay away from him. That's what I would have said with my daughters. And so they go get him, and, 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 and uh, this, the dad, uh, Jethro, gives one of the daughters to Moses, and they get married. So here's Moses. Was in the palace, had privilege, power, servants, education, you know, promise of, of, of an easy life, promise of an educated life. And now he finds himself tending sheep. He goes from palace to pasture. How in the world is God ever going to use someone like Moses, a murderer, someone who ran away from his responsibilities and by the way, how could he use Moses anyway? Because Moses is not in a position of power anymore. He's a shepherd. Well, here's what happens. After 40 years had passed, 40 years from palace to pasture, every day getting up. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but it's just the same routine every day. You get up, you make sure they're fed, you make sure that they are calm, you know, you, you just kind of go through. There's no promise of, gee, I hope I can become president of the sheep someday. I mean, like, there's nothing. You're just tending sheep. You're always going to tend sheep. There's, you, have, you have no career path. Like, oh, if I do well with the sheep, I'll get some cows or whatever. You're just, you are a shepherd. That's what you do. That's your expertise. I wonder, in the back of my mind, how much time in those 40 years was he thinking, I wonder if I should have left. Yeah, I wonder if when he's cold at night and the sheep are all around, if he's thinking, oh man, I remember one of the servants used to lie in my bed and warm it up for me so that when I got in, I wasn't cold. I wish I could have that back again. You ever do that? You ever think about a time in your life when everything was going good and now things aren't going that great. You think to yourself, man, maybe it was a mistake you made. You say, oh, man, I wish I could get back to that. How can you be used by God? 
He says, after 40 years passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. So this is, that's Stephen's account of what happened. Here's Exodus's account. God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. I want you to notice something here. Moses wasn't even tending his own sheep. He didn't have any sheep. He was, he was tending, he, he was working for his father-in-law. Now listen, I'm sure, I, I, my, I love my father-in-law. I love him dearly. I, I love you. I want you to know that. I love you. Okay? I do not want to work for my father-in-law. Okay? I just, it just would not go very well. He has to work for his father-in-law. It's his father-in-law's sheep. They're not even his sheep. 40 years thinking about, man, I wish I, maybe your power was in your looks. Okay? Maybe as you grew up and you were just always, and now you're getting older and things are shaping up differently. Okay? <laughs> And you're thinking, man, I wish I could go back there. Maybe it was in your athleticism. And you remember being the star of whatever team it was. And now it's like you get up and there's more creaks and pops than you expected. I pulled my back out one time, sneezing in the shower. <laughs> it was the lowest point of my athletic career, okay? <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was pretty much over by that time, right? So he's tending his, his flock. Now listen to this. This is so sweet. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. In the middle of Moses' downward spiral from uh, palace to pasture, God knew Moses' name. God knew where to find Moses. God knew what Moses had been up to and what he had planned for Moses. But for 40 years, Moses had no clue. I don't know if he felt abandoned by God. I don't know if he felt uh, that he wasn't worthy to be around God. We, we'll get a little hint of that in just a minute. But where are you with God? Did you know he knows your name? He knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For me, it's a little easier for him to count. But for you guys, you look great. He knows that. He knows about your past. He knows about the mistakes you've made. He knows about the mistakes you're going to make. But when he calls to you, he calls to you by name. He doesn't say, hey, you, or hey, uh, get over here, or whatever. He calls to you by your name. And this is what he does for Moses. Even when Moses is not in a position of power, even when Moses, it doesn't look like he could ever be used by God. This is exactly, this is precisely when God approaches Moses, when he's out of power. Some of us are gripping onto stuff for so long about how people think about us and this and that. We want to be exalted and used and all this kind of stuff. And God's just waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting to go, you know what? Until you relinquish that, I can't use you. And we're fighting, and we're fighting, and we're fighting of losing uh, power. And the whole time, God is saying, hey, Jim, Jim, John, John, Sally, Sally, I'm right here. 
So he's in this bush. Moses said, here I am. You know, one of the things that is important as we begin to see how can God use us when we're not in a position of power, when we're just a normal person, common person maybe, is to understand where we're at. I wonder for Moses, he's like, here, here I am. And he just kind of looks and he's like, there's not much to look at. I smell like sheep, okay? I smell, I, I'm tired, I'm dirty, I, here, here I am. And I think for some of us, that's a start to coming back to God. For any of you who have maybe pushed away from God or you don't think you're worthy of him or your, your relationship isn't right, you know what a great start is to go, here I am warts and all. You know exactly what I've been going through. You know what I've done. You know all of it. Here I am, and that's what Moses does. Here's what God says to Moses. Don't come any closer. (laughs) Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing on is holy ground. You know, as I've, I've heard this verse, I have been a Christian for now, like, I don't know, decades. Uh, I've heard this preached, I've read it a bunch of times and all that. And one of the things I just don't understand is if it's holy ground, wouldn't you not want to touch it at all? <laughs> like if it's holy ground, I'd want shoes on. Because I'd want to be protected from like burning up or whatever, like God being angry with me or, or whatever. But God tells Moses to take off his shoes. That the ground he's standing on is holy. Why do you think that is? Because I would think that it would be, don't touch this ground, it's holy, and you're going to get zapped. Lightning's going to come down and strike you. Don't touch the holy ground, okay? Stand over there. He says, take off your shoes. I believe this is because God is bringing it back to the way it was supposed to be. We weren't supposed to wear shoes. Think about that. We weren't supposed to wear shoes. Adam, God didn't make shoes for Adam. Adam walked around naked, okay? He walked around because there wasn't, he wasn't going to break an ankle or sprain an ankle or anything like that. He was just, he was going to work the land and steward what God had for him. And the whole point was to have a relationship, God having a relationship with his creation. And so we've always looked at this verse and said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, you know, and it's like, bad Moses. But really, God is just inviting Moses into this intimate relationship. For this holy ground, you don't need shoes. You don't need anything separating me from you. Take them off. Walk onto this ground that I've anointed, that I've made holy. So many times we're identified by our shoes, (laughs) especially in our culture. I found these shoes. These are uh, Nike Air VaporMax Flyknit mocks. Those are a few hundred dollars. If anyone wants to buy these for me, by the way, go right ahead. <laughs> I know you all have a few extra hundreds of dollars lying around. Oh, right. I mean, like our culture, like we, we, want, we want you to, I mean, you know, we want you to see the shoes. 
Unless you're like, you know, you're really hippie and you don't care about corporate America and you're like, man, and you, you wear Birkenstocks, okay? <laughs> These are Birkenstock Arizonas, okay? They're, three, they're $300. It's a real shoe. So you're not, you're not that hippie if you wear Birkenstocks. They're a company just like anyone else. And then these are some of my favorite, these Tostani's pumps in metallic leather. Those are $900. Right? I could just picture seeing God being in one of those shoes and God going, Man, take those shoes off. God. <laughs> this is holy ground. What are you doing? You look ridiculous. Okay? I made you feet, okay? You're supposed to be able to see your toes. This is ridiculous, right? There's another thing of shoes, though, that I think we, we don't really identify with the expensive shoes that God's telling us to get your expensive shoes off of the way. He was wearing sandals, most likely tattered and torn, and they identified him as a shepherd. And for some of you, the Lord wants you to take off these shoes, the ones that identify you as shame, with poverty, with failure. I had shoes like this when I was growing up. Uh, when I was 11, we had a, um, uh, my parents lost all, everything. And so we moved out to California. And uh, I was on this lunch program that you got a free lunch if you went to the public school. And so I get, you get this card, and so they punch, they punch the card out. And so the very first day I got my card, I went in the lunch line, and I, I handed it to the lady, and she punched it. And then everybody around started laughing at me that I was poor. And they're like, you're poor, you're poor. Now, here's the great thing. I, they were just as poor as I was. I, I don't know why they didn't get a card. It was like, it was a free card. Like, you, we can all have cards. They're fa fantastic. But that was one of my shoes. That was one of the things that identified me. You are poor. I had pants that didn't quite make it all the way down back when I was a kid. They'd say that was, you were flooding. Okay, I don't know if you remember that, but I was flooding. Okay, and so that was my thing. I was, I was self-conscious, and I was, you know, you know what the Lord would say? Hey, 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 put down the card. That, that isn't what's going to define you anymore. What you do as a shepherd is not going to define you. What you do for a career, maybe some of you are out of work right now and you're feeling that shame of being out of work, God would say, take that off. You don't need that. I, I, it's, it's holy ground. I want you to have a holy ground moment with me. And may, maybe you haven't accomplished what you think you should have accomplished by now. Or maybe you haven't accomplished what your parents thought you should have accomplished by now. Or maybe you haven't accomplished what somebody early in your life told you to. And the God would say this. He'd call you by name, and he would say, hey, take that off. We're, we're going to have a different way of sharing value, okay? There's one more picture of shoes that I wanted to show, and then we'll get to the next thing. <laughs> those, are his, those are his Uggs, yeah. Okay, there we go. Let's get back to the Bible, all right? That's the last Patriots thing I'm going to do. All right. And I'm going to have my phone off by the time I leave campus today. So no matter what happens, don't text me. Unless they're winning. <laughs> Watch what he says. This is so powerful. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
He, he, Moses has no idea why God is talking to him right now. Zero. If it were me, if I were Moses, I'd be like, this is about the guy I killed, isn't it? <laughs> like, this is about, you found out, and now you've come to make me pay for my sins. I get it. Moses had this same shame. Like, I, can't, I can't look at God. But look at it from God's perspective. He's allowing Moses to stand on holy ground as an unholy human. Calling him by name. I don't know what your past is. I don't know where you're at right now. But I know this. God wants to have a holy ground moment with you. Where you're stripped of all your power. Where you're stripped of all your shame. Where you're stripped of all your past. And it's just you and him. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. And so Moses, like all of us, like I would be, even though I'm preaching this sermon, I would hide my face. I'd be scared. It's God. He goes on in verse 9. Now, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then watch what he says. Just incredible. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's incredible. Why, why wouldn't God have just left Moses in the palace? He could have done this in the palace. He could have rose up into a position of power. and Maybe, maybe he could have even become Pharaoh. God could have done that. God's not interested in your power. He doesn't need it. As a matter of fact, for some reason, I don't know why, God seems to be comfortable using the little things, the least of these, those that don't necessarily have the education. One of my favorite verses is found in Acts when the Pharisees are looking at Peter, he says, when they saw the courage of Peter and James and John, knowing that they were unschooled, untrained men, they, they marveled because it was obvious they had been with Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that cool? God can use you to do anything. God can use you to do anything. God can use you to do anything. Anything at your work, anything at your school, anything in your neighborhood. But we oftentimes have to remove those shoes, those things that identify us. Maybe those shoes are a position of power that we want to grasp onto, and God says, take that off. This is a holy ground moment I want to have with you. Maybe it's, it's something we think that makes us important, and God says, until you remove that, until, until it's not about your importance, it's about mine, I, I, can't, I can't use you. You need to take that off. But he can use anybody in this room to do anything. But we just have to remove ourselves from these positions of power, from these relying on ourselves, relying on our money, relying on our position, relying on uh, those around us, relying on our reputation. 